Let's just worry about what's in front of us. It's Leaning Toward Wisdom, the podcast. Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio. My name is Randy Kentrell. I'm your host here. The website is leaningtowardwisdom.com. If you go to the show notes, you can find the episode for October the 27th, 2022. I'm going to embed, it's a press conference that occurred a couple of days ago with head coach of the Sooner football team, coach Brent Venables. Tap the brakes. This is not about the Sooners. It's not about football, even much less college football, but my beloved OU Sooner football team, they have experienced a season of challenge that as fans, we hope it morphs into some major growth and improvement. And we're confident that it will because Brent Venables is such a terrific personality. He seems like a good human. He is a man who has experienced serious adversity from his childhood all through his adult years. Now, we could certainly focus on the fact this is a multi-million dollar college football coach, but he's not defined by his income. No more than I am, or you are. He's worth the money as a football coach at a major university, and we all know why. They bring in a ton of money. But as a man, as a man, how he lives determines his value. That determines his worth, and it's the same for you. It's the same for me. Yesterday, I saw this article about the team. It was entitled, With Destiny Out of Oklahoma's Control, Winning the Next Game is All That Matters. I began working on this episode, I don't know, a good little while ago, but these events clearly happened like yesterday. And when I see this article and I saw the headline, and of course I'm an OU Sooner fan, with destiny out of Oklahoma's control, winning the next game is all that matters. It it resonated with me. The article has a couple of quotes that let me share this with you. I guarantee Brent Venables isn't telling his players, okay, guys, we just need to win two more games and make it to a bowl game. He's not saying that. He's not wired like that. He wants to win football games, and there are five more to go. And the article concludes, in the words of the late Al Davis, he was the owner of the Oakland Raiders, just win, baby. That's all the Sooners can do. Win some football games and let the chips fall where they may. Now, all of this, all, all, all of this is the result of some disappointing losses, particularly the blowout 49 to zero loss against rival Texas. And those failures took away the Sooners opportunity to control their own destiny toward a major bowl game or a playoff run or a national championship. But it did not rob this team of controlling their own destiny from here on out. Our challenges, well, our challenges are sometimes their major impasses. They knock us down. They drag us out. Sometimes they knock us out. The Sooners coach, he is not a man who is willing to lay down and whimper. He has not done that in his personal tragedies, so far as I can tell. He is not about to do it now as a first-time head coach at a major university. This is a man who has decades and decades of experience, a.k.a. success. He knows what he is doing. He knows he has to prepare his team to push through this adversity so they can grow and so they can improve. I mean, the what is it? I mean, the man is six or seven games into his head coaching career. He's been coaching football for decades, but this is a first-time head coach. And he knows that 
if they can push through this adversity, that the ones who are willing to do that, they're going to benefit. And frankly, the ones that aren't willing, they're going to be gone either by their own choice or by his choice. But as I said, this really isn't about college football. It's not about the OU centers. It's not about a football coach. It's about you. It's about me. It's about us. This is about our life and our challenges. It's about how we're going to stand up against our opponents, how we're going to face our adversity, how we're going to deal with the impasses that affect our lives. How are we going to respond? Are we going to wither? Are we going to increase our resolve to fight? What are we going to do when trouble comes? And for many of us, well, trouble ain't going to come. Trouble's here. I have talked very candidly, and I'm going to talk more candidly today in this episode, which I will warn you, I don't know how long this is going to be. It's going to be as long as it needs to be, and no longer, I promise. But I have talked candidly about this four-year struggle, and I'm going to talk more candidly about that today. It has been such a long, arduous fight. I have reached a point where all I know to do is what the OU Sooners football team has got to do. And that serves as the title of today's show. All I know to do is worry about what's in front of me. Just worry about what's in front of me. Now, I'm going to throw at you, (laughs) this is going to be kind of a disjointed conversation. I'll forewarn you. That's probably a really horrible tease, but it's just the truth. But I promise this all has a point. And keep that in mind. Let's worry about what's in front of us. Let's just worry about what's in front of us. I posted in the social media channels just yesterday, as far as leaning toward wisdom goes, the first one, the easiest way to organize your stuff is to get rid of most of it. Those of you inside the group, you saw me post that. And then just today I posted this one, travel and tell no one live a true love story and tell no one live happily and tell no one people ruin beautiful things. Khalil Gibran. (laughs) Both of these things spoke to me and they speak to me more now than maybe they ever have in my life because of the theme of today's show, worrying about what's in front of me, what is right in front of me. But let's take, I don't know. Let, let, let's take the first one. Well, let's take the last one first travel and tell no one live a true story, a true love story and tell no one live happily and tell no one people ruin beautiful things. Now this man, Gibran, he is best known as the author of the prophet that was first published in the U S back in 1923. He was this Lebanese born poet, writer, philosopher. He died in 1931. I don't profess to know very much about him except that book, that famous, famous book. My recollection is that it was in the seventies and there were college students who were reading that book and discovering this guy. I'm supposing that some college philosophy professors probably helped expose students to his work, but For whatever, the man did write some quotable lines, including that one. And I love, I love quite a lot of things about it to tell you the truth. Now, the only thing I might would add is travel and tell no one live a true love story and tell no one live happily and tell no one. Some people ruin beautiful things, but I'm rather supposing that's likely what he meant keeping quiet, keeping quiet, which is, I mean, this is going to, this is going to sound so weird, if not hip hypocritical, given that I'm a podcaster who hits record maybe more frequently than I even should, but keeping quiet is very appealing. The longer I live, the more I understand how intrusive people 
can be and how intrusive people are to, well, there are people who are anxious to be intrusive and you know what? It doesn't have anything to do with you. It doesn't have anything to do with me. Oh, sure. You know, listen, I'm like you. I want to think I'm special and all that, but it doesn't have anything to do with us because guess what? We're not special. It has everything to do with the other person. It has to do with what they most want. And now I'm not, I'm not accusing anybody of being heartless and uncaring. It's just simply means that their priority is usually self focused and it's completely understandable because guess what? All of us are experiencing life through our own eyes. We're in our own heads. Our life matters more than anybody else's. And it's not because we necessarily think that we're better. Yeah, okay. Some people might, but it's because this it's our life. It's our life and it's uniquely our responsibility. And besides that, mostly we care about the outcomes of our life and that's how it ought to be. Worry about the things in front of you. Well, okay. You are the pronoun, not them. But there is something a tad more sinister that is also going on here. And we are all subjected to it. And I would suppose to some degree, we can all be subjected to practicing it. It simply is purient curiosity. Now, most people, when you use the word purient, if they even know what it means, they, they may think of something sexual. Listen, I'm not using it clearly. I'm not using it in a sexual context, but I'm using it in the immoderate indecent sense. The desire to know simply because we want our curiosity satisfied, or we want to know something that other people may not yet know, or some other selfish reason that doesn't have anything at all to do with serving or helping the other person. That's what I mean by purient curiosity. I mean, come on, you know, people in your life. I absolutely do people whose lives are largely a game of, I know something you don't. That's what I mean. And that's why I love quietness in the sense of not sharing too many details about my life. And in spite of the fact that documenting happens here at leaning toward wisdom, and it was documenting that propelled the launch of this podcast 20 over 20 years ago. And frankly, that propels everything in my podcasting life. There's much that is not revealed because it's private. It's personal. Sometimes it's confidential. Quite often it involves other people besides me. And then of course, most times I just don't feel like it. I just don't feel like sharing the details of what's going on with me, but that's my personality type. I'm much more comfortable asking about others. Now I will tell you, I do try. I don't always succeed, but I do try to exercise care because I want to be able to read the moment correctly. Does this person want to share? Are they craving somebody who is truly interested? And mostly I am. And so I lean into conversations about their life because almost always they start it. And as they open up, I embrace it and I keep going. I keep, I just keep going for as long as they want to. I mean, it's not, and it's not that I'm unwilling to reciprocate by sharing details of my life but it pretty much takes care of itself when the conversation continues about their life, because come on, we are the most important person in the world to us. I will 100% of the time subtly, if I can, if they inquire about me, I will, it, it, I will be as brief as I possibly can. And I'm very quickly going to shift the conversation on them and their life. And it feels better for both of us almost always. So when I mention quietness, I'm talking about two distinctly different kinds of communication. There is quietness in the form. Well, it is a form of communication. It's just like pausing in a podcast. 
I've long been known to exercise the power of the pause. It was one of the very first things. I mean, over 20 years ago, it was the, it was the thing that people wrote to me about. And I didn't, I hadn't even thought about it. There is a quietness that serves us. And there is a quietness that serves others. Sometimes when it works out, ideally they are parallel. The quietness that serves us also serves others. Eh, sometimes they're not, sometimes they're not parallel. Want to want to take a guess as to which one gets the priority. Well, I can tell you for me, it, it's, it's the quietness that serves me. It's the quietness that I need to embrace for my own health. That other, that other minimalism kind of a statement, the easiest way to organize your stuff is to get rid of most of it, man, that might be worth a show of its own, but I probably won't. There's stuff that's physical stuff that surrounds us. And then there's, you know, there's all the stuff in our head. Little doubt we probably could benefit from getting rid of most of it. I've already talked to you at great length that the, pur the great purge, I even have local friends that will ask, well, how's the, how's the great purge going? I'm like, yeah, you know, the great purge. I mean, as far as my personal stuff is pretty much done, you know, now it's the joint effort for me and Rhonda. But the subject today is let's just worry about what's in front of us. Let's just worry about what's in front of us. And like the OU senior football team, if we'll just worry about what's in front of us, the chips are going to fall where they're going to fall. The yellow studio 2.0 has to end so that 3.0 can begin. Back in 2015, I did a virtual tour of the Yellow Studio version 1.0. I'll put a link in today's show notes. Just you can find this episode. And for more than 15 years, by the time you get to 2015, that's how I operated the Yellow Studio. And then thanks to this little Australian company called Road, okay, they're not so little, we shook things up by replacing You'll see in the photograph, you'll see this rack of equipment to the right of my computers. All of a sudden, Rode had produced this single device called the Rodecaster Pro. Well, now they've got version 2.0 of that. Mine's the original. And that ushered in the Yellow Studio 2.0. In fact, for the past few years, the worksite inside the Yellow Studio has been greatly enhanced by this Rodecaster Pro in spite of the fact that Okay, the workflow hasn't changed all that much, but boy, did it get much simpler with a single device. And by the way, thanks to you guys. Thanks to the audience of Leaning Toward Wisdom, the Roadcaster Pro found its way into the Yellow Studio, and therefore it became the Yellow Studio 2.0. You, you the listeners, are largely responsible for that. Now, the end of the Yellow Studio 2.0, well, let, let's say the beginning of the end. That began months ago as I began to declutter and purge. And again, I'm not going to bore you with another rendition of all that effort. I can tell you this for the umpteenth time. It was invigorating. The Yellow Studio is a home office and it's podcast studio all in one. It has been the place where I have produced 99% of every podcast episode I've ever done, not just at leaning toward wisdom, but at growgreat.com and at hot springs village inside out.com. And there've probably been a few failed attempts along the way, but those are the three that happen right here, right now. The only exceptions of episodes that I have recorded that were not recorded here inside the yellow studio were those that were recorded out in the field with a microphone and a digital recorder. But we're talking thousands and thousands of hours of shows that have been recorded right from this spot where I now sit inside this yellow room. And most of the shows were recorded into 
a Heil PR40 microphone. You can see the picture. Uh, when Roadcaster Pro entered the picture, I sold both of the PR40s along with a rack of, of gear because I was opting. I've just, I was turning a page, new chapter. And I kind of wanted a different sound. And I broke the cardinal rule of podcasting. Now, I'm not apologizing for it. But I went from a dynamic mic to a condenser mic. If you care enough, you can Google the difference. But my workflow improved. I think the sound did too. You know, bittersweet is how we tend to describe something when we want something else, but we're also kind of partially dreading letting go of something. Well, I've had months to think about the Yellow Studio 2.0 coming to an end. I'm still thinking about it. And I may, I may have had a moment, maybe I even had a couple of moments. I don't really remember where bittersweet could have applied, but you know, mostly it's just been sweet because I've been kind of anxious for the challenge, looking forward to closing this chapter so that I can begin a new one. We talk a lot about chapters of our lives, these moments in time when it can be easy for us and others to define us. This chapter of our life, me and Rhonda, it has endured for about 23 years. And Rhonda and I have been ready to close this chapter of our life. We're still, we're still writing the concluding chapter, by the way. And it's important. I think when we end something, a desired ending that we are also simultaneously anticipating starting something new, right? I mean, it's one thing to be really busy and frantic running away from something that feels empty and useless to me, unless I'm running towards something else and closing this chapter has mostly been an exercise in saying goodbye in order to say hello, it's been letting go in order to grab a hold. And we're just, you know, we're, we're busy. We're busy continuing to write a chapter that hasn't yet been written and hasn't yet been concluded. And that is the conclusion of, okay, for our purposes here, what I'm calling the end of the yellow studio 2.0, I'd love to tell you, this is going to be my last episode from the yellow studio 2.0, but that's not the case. <laughs> a lot of learning. And a considerable amount of angst. Let's just worry about what's in front of us. Eternity changes everything. Yeah, okay, I've, I've already learned this. I've been learning this all my life because I've got Christian parents who taught me the truth. But I can tell you recent months have absolutely reinforced this. Life always reinforces to me that eternity changes everything. If you don't believe in eternity, that's your prerogative. You don't believe in God and all that. Uh, that's your, again, that's your choice. I respect your right to make the choice. Even if you are wrong, <laughs> big life decisions, listen, big life decisions are very, very hard, but they are made somewhat easier when you're able to see what matters most. You know, Rhonda and I, the other day, we were engaged in a conversation about some specific decision that was possibly facing us. And when we crunched the numbers, well, the decision, it boiled down to, do you want to risk a few hundred dollars or do you want to risk $26,000? <laughs> okay. Well, it's not a real hard decision, right? Because the difference is so enormous. The difference is so apparent, but the same thing happens when we can clearly compare our earthly life with eternity. Now we tend to think of it as living and dying. The reality is at least based on what the Bible teaches, the reality is very different. We live here in human bodies while we are living in this earthly chapter of our lives. And when we die physically, our soul, our spirit is separated from this earthly body and we go on living into an eternal realm, a spiritual realm. That's what death is. It's the separation of our spirit from our physical body. And so we end one chapter and we begin a new one. And in this case, it happens to be the final chapter because this is the eternal chapter. The more we study this and the more we think about this, 
the more clear it becomes to me that we, we should give it more weight than anything that happens to us here. I mean, the reason to give importance to the things that happen here is because the things that happen here determine what happens in eternity. You know, it's part math. It's all God, but the math is pretty straightforward. Quite frankly, my father is 99 years old and healthy. He is living a long, long life, but it's still nothing compared to forever. I mean, would he or any of us, would we be wise to devote ourselves to something here for a brief time, even if it were 99 years, if it would cost us the high price of forever, well, it'd be foolish. Oh, sure. We could do it just like it would be foolish for Rhonda and I. Okay. You're going to risk $400. You're going to risk 26,000. Well, it's a no brainer risk the 400. Don't risk the 26 grand. And yet many of us, maybe even most of us, that's exactly what we do. We do, we devote ourselves to whatever suits us. We don't give any thought to scripture, to God, to Jesus Christ. We play the short game. We are oblivious that there even is a longer eternal game. Or maybe, as I said at the outset, we, we don't believe. We don't believe that game exists. You know, here's the thing about the truth of eternity and all these spiritual things. It doesn't matter if you believe in it or not. Because it still exists. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes you can end a chapter on a high note. But, you know, sometimes you just need to end it anyway. The sooner the better. Yeah, ideally we end on a high note. It doesn't matter what it is, a presentation, a speech, a story, a podcast. It's not always possible. I'm reminded of that comedian. I should Google and find out who said it because it was a great line. And he just kind of had this deadpan delivery. And he looks at the crowd and he says, eh, you know, I like to start out slow and then peter out. Yeah, that's not a great strategy. It's funny, but it's not a great strategy. We are all living our lives in real time. And it's not always possible for us to end on a high note. So we just do the best we can with what we've got. The challenge is to do our best and get it right in real time, which is how we have defined wisdom for years and years and years. And sometimes we're able to do that. And sometimes we don't. My ideal outcome for ending this chapter of my life, which does include yellow studio 2.0, it wouldn't have necessarily been written the way that it is playing out. But in spite of the fact that Rhonda and I are writing this chapter of our life together, there are some circumstances and events that are beyond our control. I guess it could be argued like the OU Sooner football team. Okay. At the beginning of the year, you, you've got it all in your, in your control. Okay. Well, maybe at birth we did, but over life we've done some things wrong and we've had some failures along the way. And now there are many, many things that are beyond our control. And so like that team, we just have to worry about what's in front of us. And so Rhonda and I have huddled over the last four years or so. We've done our best to respond the best way we know how history is going to judge how well we did. Okay. Well, history and judgmental people. I can tell you that with a limited perspective, which is improving all the time because as distance happens, as time moves on and that distance happens, it, it can improve your perspective if you work at it and we're working at it. We're both feeling pretty good about our effort. You know, you'll hear people talk about big time professional athletes who play great under pressure. And we'll often hear this. The moment is never too big for them. I'd love to tell you that there have never been any moments that were too big for me, but I will, I will promise you. I have had quite a few moments that prove way too much for my talent, my ability, my skill, my resolve, or my lack of all of the above. So what do you do if you mess up? Well, better yet, what do you do when you mess up? Well, hopefully you don't keep on messing up and hopefully you don't linger in self-pity. You have to just respond as well as you can, pick yourself up, get on with doing your best. 
I mean, none of us want these bad moments to define us, but it, it happens because redemption can be really, really difficult. And this worrying about what's right in front of you can equally be difficult. So I was sitting here working on this episode and on Sunday, this past Sunday, October the 23rd at 447, cause I, I, I wrote it out. I'm sitting here inside the yellow studio. I'm watching game five of the NLCS, the national league championship series of major league baseball. I'm working on this very idea. In fact, I'm at this point in working out these ideas for today's episode. And I look up and Bryce Harper is at plate for the Philadelphia Phillies. And he hammers a two run home run in the top of the eighth. I think it was the top of the eighth. And he gave the Phillies a one run lead over San Diego. And this was, this was the series deciding game. If Philly would win. I mean, you talk about a moment, not being too big. Well, man, don't we all want to be that guy. And sometimes it works out glorious when it happens, right? But what if it hadn't happened? What if he struck out? I mean, it's gut wrenching when it doesn't happen. Bryce Harper doesn't want the chapter to end without a world series ring, because from what I'm told, that's something he's never achieved. I'm not a baseball guy. I watch it when it gets to this point in the season. In fact, from my understanding until this season, this man, who's a brilliant player by all accounts, he hasn't even had postseason success professionally. I mean, you talk about a guy writing new chapters. He is writing a new chapter playing for the Philadelphia Phillies. They won, by the way, ended the series. They're, they're headed to the world series. When we make a mess of things or when things aren't going as we planned or as we hoped, we just want to end the chapter quickly if we can, but writing our lives takes time. Bringing an end to the Ella studio 2.0. It's taken some time been thought about, been dreamed about, been planned. And some days, you know, some days it, it, it has felt like it might never happen. I've had days where I was, I was like Phil Connors, right? The TV weatherman in the movie groundhog day played by Bill Murray, right? The days just blend into each other. And many of them just, they feel identical to the day before. In fact, they are identical to the day before, but eventually the calendar changes daily. We put in the work daily. Rhonda and I would fall to our knees. We pray for wisdom. We pray for an outcome we desire. And all the while we're prepared to accept the results that might happen to come. You don't know, you don't know. And when you don't know how things are going to turn out, which by the way, is much of the time you can at least determine how you're going to respond when they don't me. I, I worked really hard. I worked harder than I've ever worked. I'm still doing it to more heavily lean into optimism than I ever have before. It's been difficult to avoid thinking the worst because I mean, life has largely felt like a four year knife fight. And after such a long time, it's just been exhausting and it makes it harder and harder and harder to think about, well, what is the ideal outcome here? And for us, we needed to keep the faith in ourselves and our plan and our priorities in God's answer to help us achieve whatever might be best for us eternally. You know, maybe what we were pursuing wasn't going to be ideal because we don't have divine knowledge. We felt like we were aiming in the right direction. We felt like we were doing it for the right reasons. I made up my mind that I was going to write the ending the way I wanted. Now that didn't mean it was going to happen, but at least in my mind where I began to write it, I thought about it. I dwelt on it. I leaned really hard into optimism and as much wisdom as I could muster. I refused to let myself entertain doubt for more than seconds at a time. Sometimes that was, and still is just a ridiculously hard chore. 
I chose to believe that we could create a great ending to an otherwise less than stellar chapter. And all along, it's like, we just want it to end please today. I don't know. No, it hasn't come to an end. We're still fighting the fight, but that's what we do. We just, we've got to worry about what's in front of us. When you're in a hole, do you stop digging? That's the admonition, you know? Well, I I think it depends on what hole you're digging. It depends on whether or not you want or need the hole. But we've all heard that advice. When you're in a hole, stop digging. Well, it sounds good and all, wise even, but it's not easy. It is not easy when you feel like a mole and you just feel like, you know, I, it, it, it would appear my whole purpose in life is just to dig this hole. I will tell you that it is also not easy when you don't want to stop digging because you're mostly driven to go as far underground like a mole as possible. That's how my life has been for the last four years. There has been enough time. I don't mind sharing with you a little bit, which happens by the way, to be a whole lot more than I've shared with you before. I won't go into all the details, but I will tell you my grown daughter, our grown daughter, after 15 years of marriage and being a mother to two boys, she left the reservation translation, leaving the reservation means she left God. She left the church. She left her husband. She left her sons, left it all, blew it all up. Now it's a long, arduous story, but I got to tell you, I love my son-in-law very much. Okay. Yeah. Technically he's my ex son-in-law. Our daughter had betrayed her marriage vows multiple times unbeknownst to him. And that was only revealed after she left the reservation. So yes, he's now technically my ex son-in-law, but he knows he's never going to be an ex to me or to Rhonda. Thankfully, he's got full custody of the grandsons who now are 15 and 13. But given her evil, profane behavior, she lost her parental rights. So the boys are protected from her. Along with her ex-husband. And with their dad, these two boys, they are the three amigos and we are very, very close to them. Uh, prescribed opioid meds, colossal selfishness, profane rebellion against God. They're all in play here and much, much more. Our lives, all of our lives cratered about four years ago upon this decision, this news. And so we've been digging ever since. But everybody is safe, devoted to God, doing well, everybody except her, of course. I've been digging in, not out. I would tell you that It wasn't my intention, but that's not entirely true because I did intend to dig in. I didn't intend to dig out at first. It just happened. And I freely admit I leaned into it more than maybe I should have because mostly I was stunned that the little girl who grew up in our home, this self-confident young lady filled with faith, conviction, a strong sense of right and wrong and a strong, strong conscience that she would embrace the darkest side of herself and surrender. And I would have told you all of her life. Well, that'll never happen, but it did. She did. And even a husband or parents are powerless to make decisions for other people. When foolishness is the choice, it's a painful, painful, painful choice to watch, but we did kind of have to watch for too long, but no more. In fact, some months ago, I created and posted another graphic on my social media channels, and I did it in part to promote inthypaz.com. If you want to hear some sermons, I know some of you think, well, isn't that what this is? Maybe. But if you really want to hear a sermon, if you want to hear me preach sermons, go to inthypaz.com. And it was kind of promoting that effort that I posted this because it was what I was feeling at the time. You can ruin your life. If you want to, you can lean into the evil and selfishness. You can do exactly what you want, but you can't make me watch. By the way, if you want to hear a talented preacher, go to let the Bible You know, I had posted and written a considerable amount about this girl, this daughter of mine who captivated my heart 40 years ago, 
give or take. We were close. We were connected. We shared faith. We shared so much more until she chose to stop and lean fully into self-centeredness and sin. The stubborn demeanor that had served her very well in living for God and for goodness, it backfired because now it was manifested as profane rebellion. And it was a wickedness that none of us had ever seen. No, we don't have any contact. We have no relationship anymore. It's over. And I'm not going to participate. I'm not going to watch. I did dig in, speaking of digging, I did dig in to learn all that I could about opioid, especially prescribed opioids. We're not talking illegal opioids. We're talking legal prescribed opioids. But illegal or legal, they still have the same effect. I was very intrigued, very intrigued. I'm still intrigued about the impact that opioids have on mental health, on our brain. Yes, I dug into hide as well. The learning was good. The hiding that was too. Still is to some degree. The fascinating thing is from old people to younger people, I found out that prescribed fentanyl, and other opioids seem to impact people exactly the same. Chronic pain sufferers who go to pain management doctors and are prescribed fentanyl patches, for instance, which was the case with our situation. You can talk to an 83-year-old man who is married to an 83-year-old woman, and they have been married as long as they can remember. You can talk to parents of a 19-year-old boy. And you can talk to folks, everybody in between those two wildly different demographics, an old, old woman, a young boy. And under the influence of opioids, they behave the same. I can't tell you how many times I heard this phrase. They're like a rebellious, out-of-control teenager. I heard it constantly. I heard it from the 83-year-old husband about his wife. She is like a rebellious, out-of-control teenager. It's everything I can do to just keep her halfway straight. I contacted substance abuse clinics. I talked to physicians, to psychologists, to therapists who specialize in such things. I was a sponge for the first two. I'm still a sponge, but I was really a sponge for the first two years. I was looking for answers. You know what I found? Way more questions. And yeah, I endured and still endure the harsh judgment of others who felt like and still feel like her sins are my sins. I endured the puzzled viewpoints of why was I behaving differently? Why, why is he so withdrawn? I endured and I still do endure the resolve of people who are only thinking about themselves. They're not thinking about what's best for me. They're not thinking about what's best for my family. People who feel they have to be the ideal human for every person in every situation. Well, newsflash, if you are the right person for me, you already know it. And if you don't know it, then you're not one of them. And so there it is, our four-year knife fight that I suppose is going to continue as long as we are alive. Now, the good news is the four-year knife fight, we're four years along It's not quite like it was at the beginning, thankfully. I've continued to remark to some that I'm just looking for a rock to crawl under. That has been and continues to be the most accurate depiction of how I feel, and I still mostly feel that way. I'm not the same man I once was. I will tell you that today I'm better, and I am determined to get to grow better and better and better and better And that does not mean going back. That means going forward. That means let's worry about what's in front of us. Oh, you can worry all you want about what's behind you. For learning, absolutely. It's a must, I think. But to fret and to pine, yeah, what good's it going to do? Dig in or dig out. That was, and frankly, still remains the challenge. Some things like investigating opioids and mental health issues, those are very much worth digging into. And I still do because I'm curious. 
digging out of a funk way harder, way harder. Mostly because for me, at least the funk hard to define, you know, if the funk is self pity, it's more easily defined, but that's not what I was ever feeling. And it wasn't guilt, even though my self-righteous critics wanted to put her sin on me and still do, you know, in fact, upon news of her decision, which was told to us by her husband, Rhonda looked at me and she said, we did our job. She meant that we had trained this still reasonably young lady, even though she had been married for almost 15 years, we had trained her to love God. We had trained her to love the Lord. We had trained her to be a Christian. She had embraced it all on her own. She had asked her questions. She had made her own conclusions. And now she had violated it all. She had betrayed her husband. She had betrayed her sons because she had betrayed God. Well, now the funk, the funk was hard to describe. And all I could do is tell people what I most wanted to do, which was just the truth. I wanted to climb under a rock. Part of it, part of it is absolutely driven by my introversion. And that is something that others who are not bent that way probably can't seem to quite figure out. Snap out of it is not sound advice, by the way. Neither is being told, you know, I want you to be like you were before. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, well, guess what? I'd kind of like to be like I was before too, but the situation isn't like it was before. When things happen to us, we are changed maybe forever, but you know what? It could be that our latter end is better. If we can find ways to grow through that pain, through that suffering. No, I don't like the outcome. It's horrible. It's, it's despicable. There's nothing good about it, but it's not my choice. The response to it is my choice. Let's worry about what's in front of us. What's in front of us. Well, what's in front of me is my own life. I was determined to grow and improve. Now I just had no idea how long it might take. And I had no idea about the impatience of other people. And that drove me crazy. Still does drive me crazy. And I'm talking about people who have known firsthand what's going on. The ending, the ending of this chapter, the ending of this chapter is about selling a house that has been our home for 23 years. That's, that's what this ending chapter is going to look like, by the way. No, it hadn't happened yet. This is a place where I once remarked to Rhonda, you know, you can just bury me in the backyard. It's been home, big trees, nice, big yard, lovely established mature neighborhood on a tree lined street. But four years ago, it all changed. And now we're marching forward to conclude this chapter because we are desperate to write a new chapter. We're desperate to write a better chapter. And I'm very confident Lord willing that Rhonda and I will be able to do that because our minds are made up. I've done podcast episodes about this. You know, few things are more powerful than a mind made up. Tom Petty's got that famous song time to move on his wildflowers album. It's classic album. In fact, so much so that after his death, it was re-released with tracks that didn't make the final cut. It is a record filled with many great, great songs and time to move on is among those songs. Take a minute or three. I'm going to embed this song in the show notes. Yeah. Just click that and give it a listen. Enjoy it. I do every single time I play it. I I enjoy it, but I enjoy, I enjoy that band a lot. Tom was enduring some challenges. As far as I know, when he wrote and recorded the album wildflowers. I don't know precisely what he was feeling. I don't know exactly what he was thinking, but I know this tragedy and challenges and obstacles were in his life. And those are common to all of us. I'm not a rock star and I've never been, so I can't possibly relate to whatever Tom was enduring at the moment in that role as a rock star. I've never lost a house to a fire. I've never experienced divorce. 
Tom experienced both. But no matter, like Tom Petty, we've all had tough times. We've all had times from which we wanted to move on. I can't fully express. I mean, even a word jockey like me, I can't express how ready we are to move on. Figuratively, emotionally, physically, I mean, in just about every way that you could name, we just want to move on. Tom sang in that song, what lies ahead? I have no way of knowing. And it, it may not be a line that resonates with us so much because Ron and I are carefully planning and making our decisions. Now, does that mean that things are going to work out as we plan? And does it mean that we know the outcome? No, we really don't have any way of knowing because, well, these are not things that are guaranteed. All we can guarantee is our effort and our intention, but we're optimistic very much. So our moving on is positive. It is helpful. It is our ideal outcome because, you know, going has a direction. This is the theme of today's show. The direction is forward. The direction is progress. It's growth. It's improvement. Let's worry about what's in front of us. So we've been planning all this for the past two years, but at our age, there were some milestones that we wanted to hit first. And as soon as we began to hit those, we began to take a little greater action. And all along the way, we've had to be patient, patient, patient is extremely hard. We answered our impatience. Well, mostly with prayers. Lots of intense prayers. Funny how that works. You know, facing the unknown, it often provokes this increased intensity in prayer because, well, God knows when we don't. And I've also decided to choose optimism, and I would add to that gratitude more than ever. So every day I wake up intently focused on telling myself and God and asking God that this is going to be a good day. This is going to be a day that is going to inch us closer to the goal. Okay. Some days it's imperceptible. I mean, did you gain an inch? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. On other days, it's utterly invisible. Probably didn't make much progress at all. Some days it's a step back, but we've kept the faith confident that things are going to work out favorably. And all the while we're just doing our best to maintain this priority of putting God first preparing to accept whatever he might provide providentially. We just knew we've got to do our work. We've got to lean hard into doing our very best to achieve our goals. Let's worry about what's in front of us. Sometimes there's a moment. Sometimes there are many smaller, less perceptible moments. Sometimes there's not a moment at all, you know, so we keep praying. We keep on working. We keep on hoping. Rocky Rosie hockey teams and gospel preachers through the years, dogs have inhabited our lives and our hearts. We began this chapter where we currently live this chapter that we are now ending. We, we began the chapter with a dog that I had registered as Bernard P Fife. Yep. We called him Barney. He was a Kansas city born Bichon. I was traveling at the time and while on a road trip, I bought this little Bichon puppy from an individual. He was a rather stubborn critter, but I loved him when he wasn't infuriating me. I wept when we had to say goodbye to him due to an illness that was making his life miserable. He's buried in the backyard. Some time passed as it must when you're grieving. And we drove down to the woodlands. The woodlands is a, nice suburb just north of Houston. And that's where Rocky and Rosie entered our lives. A brother and a sister, they were a pair of Westies, white West Highland Terriers, and we were immediately in love. Never before had we parented two dogs at the same time, but experts in the breed who became friends of ours, they continued to admonish us constantly, get to, get to. 
you're, you're going to want two. We followed their advice. I'm going to tell you kind of reluctantly, but it was the best decision we ever made. No two animals impacted my life as much. And I've had dogs in my life from the beginning, but these two, these two were special. I love them more than I ever thought I could love an animal. And I love animals. They were our constant companions determined to be right under our feet as much as possible Two completely different personalities, but man, one gaping hole left in my heart when we lost them. First Rocky who became ill and then Rosie who would follow about a year later. And man, the house felt so empty still does. For about 16 years or more, these two creatures had been more of a focal point than maybe we ever realized. That's a chapter that ended in the fall of 2016 when we lost Rosie. But this place, this place that houses the yellow studio is the only place. It's the only home they ever knew. The squirrels, the birds, the lizards in the backyard, well, they were the only ones that were happy to see these two critters go. And through the years, hockey players, and particularly one hockey team, have spent some time around here and in the pool. Hockey has been a considerable part of our lives since our son began to play back in early junior high. He's now the father of three, still plays whenever he can, but mostly he's busy coaching the sons in baseball. And baseball was always his first love until he found hockey. Lots of cookouts, lots of sleepovers, lots of peace parties. We haven't had one. We haven't had any of those in the better part of 15 plus years, but I can still hear the laughter. I can still see the ping pong brackets that my son would create ever the competitor. The guys are all grown up now. I keep in touch with quite a lot of them. Thanks to social media. Married mostly with kids of their own. Man, time flies, but, you know, thankfully the memories linger. Gospel preachers, they have spent many, many nights under this roof. It's the blessing of a floor plan that has two master bedrooms, one that's near the kitchen, which proved invaluable to traveling preachers. For a few, it was home away from home. And sometimes with just mere hours notice, a guest would pull into the drive to spend the evening before hitting the road to go to the next stop. Rocky and Rosie always loved it when preachers would come visit because, well, it meant new hands to pet them, new hands to give them their treats. And they did have their favorites based mostly on how accommodating the preacher was going to be toward them. And one preacher in particular named Ronnie was their absolute favorite. Uh, Likely because he was one of my favorites and he spent more time here than any. And Ronnie passed away a few years after Rosie. In fact, upon hearing about her death, he told me, man, it's not going to be the same around there anymore. And he was right. He was right. It never has been the same. And it's never been the same since his last visit either. And it never will be the same. But that's okay because we experienced it once some of it, we experienced it more than once. And as much as I want to repeat life's greatest moments, I know that's impossible in reality, but it is instantly possible because all I got to do is remember. Yeah. Some days it's kind of hard to remember because I forget moments that maybe I didn't think I'd ever forget. Things that I didn't think I'd ever forget. People I didn't think I'd ever forget, but I do. Some memories come more easily. I'm really trying these days to lean into all the best memories because it helps diminish the worst ones. Isn't that always the case? It's funny how that happens. It's great. It's a blessing. We've all got plenty of awful bad memories. But the end of this chapter Whenever it comes, it's not about those. It's not about, it's not about all the bad times. 
Yeah, that's a compelling reason to want to end this chapter for sure, but it's really only about what a great chapter this has been, but it's the anticipation that the next one's going to be better. Lord willing, it's going to be better. And let's just worry about what's in front of us. I need to weep. Do you need to weep? That same Lebanese-born writer, philosopher, Khalil Gibran, he also wrote, when you are sorrowful, look again in your heart, and you shall see that in truth you are weeping for that which has been your delight. It's not always true. But it kind of sort of is. You know, some folks don't understand it, but I need to weep. For years, I've happily admitted I cry every day. I can't remember ever a day where I didn't, <laughs> which makes me sound like a horrible crybaby. And that's not the truth. I can't remember a day where I didn't laugh out loud. I mean, this isn't some planned scheduled activity, by the way, this just happens. This is how my life operates. It's never contrived. It's not shallow. It's just pure emotion that pours out and it may last seconds might last minutes, the laughter or the weeping. I will admit with the weeping, sometimes I embrace it. I lean into it. I don't resist it at all. I will tell you that's usually how it goes, but there are other times that I do try to hasten its conclusion. Embracing it is way easier for me. I think of what I've lost and I weep. But the fact that I once held it in such regard means that now it is a loss. So in that sense, Gibran got it right, I think. I am absolutely weeping for that which was once my delight and now may not be for whatever reason. Well, I've set a new weeping record, I got to tell you, during the last four years or so. It has been a time period during which I have experienced my deepest losses. I've told you some of that today that I hadn't told you before. The others, you may have missed it, but I've already told you that. I lost in the last four years, I've lost some men that were crucial to me. I mentioned Ronnie, who Rosie loved and I loved, and you know we lost him back a couple of years ago and before him, I lost two others, older men, two of them would tell you, yeah, we're old. We we've lived a good life. One, he would probably tell you the same thing, although he was considerably younger, but still 15 years or so older than me. And in the span of about a year and a half or so, I lost all three of them. It's been a time period which I have experienced these deep, deep crushing losses and the defeats have absolutely been crushing, but survivable because I'm still here standing. Okay. Well, sometimes barely, but mostly I'm mostly I'm upright, except when I'm on my knees and being on my knees, frankly, feels way better. Eventually though, you do have to stand up and you do have to get on with the work. By the way, you can, you can pray standing up. Okay. So man, how do we put a bow on this marathon of a podcast? Where and when does it end? I can hear you saying it right now. You know, it's like that quote from some unknown source, but I love it. I may quit, but not today. Now that doesn't mean this is going to be the never ending episode. I may quit, but not today in that press conference that I have embedded at the top of the show notes, Brent Venables, the OU football head coach, somewhere near the 40 minute mark of about a 45 minute press conference. He talks about how success demands that we run into the hard, that we not run away from the hard. It's that whole be a Buffalo admonition that I've given before. I'll put a link to that show. If you missed it. 
And around the 43-minute mark, right near the end of this press conference, he talks about pushing forward toward what's in front of his team. I've also talked before about the dragons that we have to slay. Mostly the dragon that is us. Because Brent Venables also talks about how he's got some players and they don't want to look in the mirror. They don't want to be challenged. They don't want to accept responsibility. But the very best players on his roster, the great ones, man alive, they're looking hard into the mirror and not in a selfish way, but in a way of what can I do? How can I worry about what's in front of me? I'm here to tell you that I don't know the outcome of my current adversity. I don't know the outcome of my current circumstance or situation. I do not know when or if this will cease. I just know that today I've got work to do. And if like my favorite college football team, the OU Sooners, if I do this work, if I do it as well as I can, if I give it the effort that it deserves, then I can trust the results are going to follow. Mostly I know that if I'm going to worry, it's best to worry about what's in front of me and not what's behind me. It's time to move on. It's time to get going. It's time to lean hard into the work that wisdom demands because I know that's my very best option. I hope you found it valuable. If you've made it to this point, I suspect you did. Thanks for sticking around. Thanks for clicking play. You don't have to. There's a lot of play buttons out there that are likely way more worthy of your time and attention. It is modern tales of an ancient pursuit, this whole effort that we call leaning toward wisdom. It is both an individual and a collective effort as we all just try to work really hard to figure this out. It's not easy work and it is not for the faint of heart. No greatness is. Let's just worry about what's in front of us. And I'll keep you posted. Once we start hitting some mile markers and we start passing some things that give us a bigger indication of knowing what's in front of us. I say it over at the work podcast and it bears repeating here. I think today it's a great way for me to end the show today at growgreat.com. I end that podcast with this admonition. Be well, do good grow great. My name is Randy Cantrell. LeaningTowardWisdom.com is the website. Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio.